sure if I'd peck on the cheek he never had to find out? I, I thought he well, knew. It didn't work. If anything, it's made us stronger. Good. You are lucky that you're still in one piece. Because he's a big, strong boy. You won't want to tussle with him. I, I wish you the best of luck. Both of you. I, I, I mean it. Nice. Well, that's an apology. I accept it. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Welcome to episode 223 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that thinks either someone's plot playbook got stuck in the page where the culprit returns to the scene of the crime, or Stephen just loves those bloody bins. I'm Gavin. Oh, and I have an itchy nose. Oh, really? I, it, it was distracting me from saying something more clever. Oh, it's clever things that you say here? Ho, Top banter. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Someone wants to sleep on the couch tonight. <laughs> good morning to you. And good morning to you. And how are you this week? Yeah, I'm Apart right. from your itchy nose. Apart from my itchy nose, I'm all right. Watching a lot of Werner Herzog movies. Yeesh. I find not his necessarily voice a calming. bad thing. It is a little. His, his Tell voice. me about the time you saw a squirrel. <laughs> even, you know, when things, even when horrible things are happening. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so relaxing because his voice is so calming. I was so mad because one of the ones that I watched, he wasn't doing the narration. And I think it was because it was like one of his older ones where where he does the narration in German. Oh, wow. And it was like, and, you know, an English narrator on, on top of him. and So to speak. It was, yes, but not like that. And so it was like, what... I'm not getting the benefit of a Werner Herzog movie here mm-hmm. because he's not doing the narration. I think the first Werner Herzog movie I went to see at the movies was Cave of Forgotten Dreams, which mm-hmm. was presented in 3D. People said, if you're going to see a, a movie in 3D, this is a movie to see. So I went through to Glasgow to see it. Uh-huh. And the big, all uh, the way to Glasgow? All the way to Glasgow on a, on a Saturday afternoon. Oh my goodness. On the, on the, big, the big cinema on Renfrew Street. And saw Cave of Forgotten Dreams. And there must have been about 20 or 30 people in the movie mm-hmm. theatre watching it in 3D. Because it's just about the the cave paintings that were found in this uh, system in, in France, France that yeah. were like 10,000 years old or whatever. And Werner Herzog is doing the narration for that. And I think everyone in that movie theatre with me, at one point during the 90-minute running time or whatever, fell asleep. Yeah. Because it was really dark and because of Werner Herzog's voice. Yes, it's quite soothing. Yes. I think my first Werner Herzog movie was Grizzly Man. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was a story I was aware of already, you know, as someone who has a fascination with with bears and bear people and especially Grizz because... Bear people? People who are into bears. Oh. And into bears? Yeah, but not like that. Okay. 
thought you've kept us quiet. <laughs> but uh, sometimes Werner Herzog does questionable things. Like I watched uh, Little Dieter Wants to Fly yesterday and I'm watching it and I'm thinking, you know, Werner, it, it may not have been the greatest of ideas to bring this man who clearly is still suffering from PTSD back to Laos to recreate his his capture and you know confinement and and escape you know there's there's the at the end of of grizzly man you know there's there's at least a a part of the final film and then and then it it, and then it cuts to just Werner Herzog listening to the final film and watching it himself and then saying you know what this is this is too much even for me. So I think I'm just about to hit my button that says we've talked about Werner Herzog for long enough on a Coronation <laughs> Street podcast. Of course, my favorite Werner Herzog is in The Mandalorian where he says, I want to see the baby. My favorite is Into the Abyss where he says, tell me the story about the squirrel. <laughs> <clears throat> Excellent stuff. Well, that's, <laughs> that's everything you needed to know about that. Yes. And more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How was your week? Good. I'm uh, two years sober today. Woohoo! That's a word that I avoid. Sober? Yeah. I say like I, I quit drinking or I say I'm off the booze. Right. But I don't think I've really ever said sober. I'm sober. Yeah. But that, but that's that's a fact of the matter. I think because it has connotations. It does. Like that you were like this massive alcoholic, <laughs> right? <laughs> which you, which you weren't, which you never were. No, you know, I could, I could speak from experience because of you know, knowing massive alcoholics, and uh, you know, something to aim for. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, it's those connotations. It's like the whole um, immigrant versus expat thing. And yeah. I know you and Steve always insist upon saying that you're immigrants. I'm an immigrant. Because, you know... Because that's what I did. I people who say expat. Yeah. I'm an expat. That's just racist. Yeah. Well, or classist or something. It's something-ist. It is something-ist. It's funny how words can connote things without without intent. Yeah. I think I've subconsciously decided to embrace it though and just say sober. Mm-hmm. Two years sober. Yeah. It's a good feeling, isn't it? 730 mornings of no hangover. Nice. Sorry. Works, yeah. works in your favour. I think so. Works. I just need to give up the chocolate. <laughs> works in your favour wallet-wise. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. That's a lot of money that you throw at that in your life. Yes. Well, that's <laughs> that. We've got Werner Herzog. We've got... Sobriety. Sobriety. Words. And words. There we go. What, what else do you want from the preamble of your Cory podcast? Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give me some of that. Germanic Cory News. <laughs> Looks like Lydia is finally lucky in love. Mazel tov <laughs> to Rebecca Ryan, who Mazel wed Dan Ackerman this week. Huzzah! Oh, congratulations to them. Huzzah to them, yes. She looked absolutely lovely. I, I, I'm always fascinated by trends in, in fashion and in, in, in weddings and... You know, it, it seems like the kids are all right as far as, you know, 
dresses and everything. It was a lovely lace number. It, you know, no train. It looked really nice. She looked great. Excellent. Yes. Happy, happy to her. Maybe that's why her brother and Amy were sick oh. <laughs> for the engagement party. Maybe they're away to a wedding. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know if the timing for that works, yeah. but well, let's go with that anyway. Let's go with that anyway. Let's not let the truth get in the way of a good story. Correct. We never do. <laughs> and the congratulations roll continues. As oh. Lucy Fallon announces this week that she is pregnant with her first child. The Bethany actor sadly had a miscarriage last year, which makes this announcement all the more special. So good luck to her. She is due in February. Yeah, good so luck to her. I thought longer. she was uh, a potential for the jungle again. Well, I don't think so. No, she's pregnant. Yeah. You can't be eating no witchetty grubs. I wouldn't have thought... You eat weird things when you're pregnant. No, I suppose. And, and things that you tend to think are delicious tend to turn your stomach when you're pregnant. You know, things that you actually like. You're like, no, I can't eat that now. Right. Because pregnancy is weird. It does weird things to your body. Apparently so, because a, a human falls out of you a few months later. Yes. That's pretty weird. Yes, that's what they do. They just fall right out. Mm-hmm. Just just like gravity, <laughs> like gravity take hold. <laughs> Oh, dear. (laughs) And finally, congrats to Nigel Pavaro on the new gig. The actor formerly known as Terry Duckworth on The Cobbles will will appear in the New Commitments musical tour, which will begin this week at the King's Theatre in South Sea. Who's he playing in The Commitments? (laughs) It was like after midnight when I wrote that copy, so I can't remember. But still, he Excellent. seems he seems really excited about it, and you know, and bless, you know, it's it's good to see people getting out there and and doing stuff and doing new things and still working after all these years, right? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, and that's a that's a good show. That the commitments yeah. that was a good movie. I, yeah. I obviously, I haven't seen it as a musical. As a musical, because you hate musicals. Why would I? Right. I don't typically go to the theatre. No, you don't go to the theatre. I will probably I drag you. I don't know why you. I said it like that. I will, I will probably drag you to the theatre at, at some point. See Hamilton or something. But yeah, you're not really a musical guy. No. You're, you you don't have... I would go further and say I'm anti-musical. <laughs> you don't have that... Not flamboyant, but... <laughs> <laughs> maybe flamboyant personality. I mean, you're, maybe you're just too Scottish. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Let's not investigate that any further and just say it's too Scottish. <laughs> and that's Corey News. <laughs> A little appendum to Corey News for uh, listeners who are listening to this over the weekend or early in the next week. Corey, next week. Yes. Monday, Monday Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yes. Thanks to the that soccer football. ball. Yeah, the soccer ball's on on Friday, so you can't have Corey. That's just the way that it goes. It's not Those as if there's the other rules. channels that you could put the soccer ball on or but that's good. other channels that you could put Coronation Street That's on. good, because we can get done early. We can get this recorded early. Because it's homecoming next weekend. Yeah. I still don't know what that is. Yes, we're going to be massively busy. Well, still is. Right, but we are her parents, so... Moving on to our mailbag then, we've got another <laughs> five-star review on iTunes this Woo-hoo! week from Soph Chi, which 
as no Gail Platt loves olives, but yeah, wouldn't let's, mark her down too much for that. No, let's not mark her down at all. Thanks. <laughs> she says, Corey fans, give this a listen. Great podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for that, Sophie. We really, we really appreciate yes, it. That's a couple thank of, you so much. couple of lovely reviews over the last People few weeks. love us. At I don't least, know why you continue to say that. At least when it comes to this podcast. Need, need some more love for the list of lists, but I, I, I suppose we're getting there. Hey, do you enjoy doing the list of lists podcast? Yes. Well, that's all that matters. Then. That's true. More than I enjoy this one. Right. Well, that's clear. That's not true. I, I enjoy doing this podcast. I don't always enjoy watching Coronation Street. And we'll find out if you enjoyed watching it this week a little bit later on. But in the meantime, Spoiler we're, alert. we're going to <laughs> talk about Will Podcast for Coffee. Thank you to Anonymous for our coffees this week. Thank you. I'm drinking mine out of my patented The Talk of the Street mug. And I'm... Drinking oh, out of my turtle. I Turtley Love You mug, which you used for soup I do. last week. And I use it for soup more often now because my Spongebob mug, which is now my Spongebob mug, <laughs> now lives at work because I eat my soup at work. I had no idea you'd taken the Spongebob mug. Yeah, and you give me a hard time for not realising that there was a Johnny Cash <laughs> poster up in this room now. There you go. I had my hair cut and <laughs> took a mug to work and you were none the wiser. Yeah. No, but that's good because if there's one thing we have far too many of in this house, it's mugs. Yeah, I love that SpongeBob mug. It's just the best for soup. <laughs> so anyway, thank you to Anonymous for our coffees this week. If you want to buy us next week's coffees for five bucks, you can go to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And it's a very simple process that the ko-fi will guide you through. Absolutely. To enable you to do that. Yeah. And now this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about corn removal tool. Ouch. Who had corns? Was it Tim? That's right, this was David going through oh. the benefits of the foot spa that he just bought for oh, Audrey's birthday. Oh, that's Fursley. right! That's right, that was like the uh, the funniest part of that week. Right. I was Gavin and you were not at all smug. What was I smug about last year? Well, if the start of this week's podcast was essentially sponsored by Werner Herzog, <laughs> last year the preamble was sponsored by the fact that I had strep. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And there you kept insisting you didn't have strep. And let's then we let's found out you again. did have let's strep. Let's not do it again. And we kept giving it back and forth to one another. And that's why I could not get well, because you insisted you didn't have strep. Yeah. And then she said to me, do you have a rash? I went, well, funnily enough. I do. Yeah. <laughs> that went away. Yes. Yeah. Funny how antibiotics work. Right. Let's all take a little sip of our coffee. <laughs> And toast antibiotics. Oh, excellent slurping action over there. Yeah, I took a hint from Gary this week. Mm. 
The entire banter of the podcast recounted that story of how I had strep. The fallout from Daniel's wallet theft forces David to go down the path of family allegiances, which is unfortunate and predictable. Nina tries to put events behind her and move on with her life by applying to fashion college. I think she's still doing that, but they never talk about it. Right. Just like, I'm assuming she still does designs for Underworld and it's never talked about, but she was never fired. Well, she had a fit, remember? She had a fit at somebody about that. Right, but she was never fired. Mm. Maybe that was implied. Hmm. ITV Corey's promotion to the Weather County first team keeps dragging Nina back. Audrey is still hurting from Rita's perceived betrayal last week. That was when Rita said that she got her hair cut at Claudia's. So Gail arranges for a family get-together to blatantly celebrate her birthday and nothing could possibly go wrong. Grace's insistence on her snag list being attended to is beginning to wear down Ed, which forces the Baileys to turn to a somewhat obvious source for a solution. Sally remembers that the parking regulation campaign is still a thing and begins harassing legally parked council members. That was quite funny. Mm-hmm. And again, something that we seem to have forgotten about. It just kind of... The parking seems fine now. Went away. Kelly is due to be sentenced for Seb's murder while Imran's lies from verdict week begin to come home to roost. Mrs. Croshaw will sort everything out. Kev taps into his inner Bruce Lee and everyone ignores Aggie. Mm-hmm. A moment of the week was Sally hiding behind a bush. And our boring moment of the week was David labouring the foot spa features. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. A nice standard three episodes this week. Yes. Where the storylines have the good grace to appear in the order in which I'm going to talk about them. Well, that was kind of them. That never happens. No, and it will never happen again. We will start this week with Evelyn's Goodwill. Ha ha, ha ha ha. They're not called Goodwill. You don't no. have Goodwill over there. No. Goodwill Industries. It's like Oxfam or stuff yeah. like that. You do have Salvation Army though. Oh yeah. yeah. The, the Sally Bash, as yeah. it's called. On Monday, Evelyn is in Nina's roles complaining to Carla and Bernie about getting hooked out to the charity shop uh, by Roy. Bernie tries to keep her nose out of it and Carla is sure it'll be fine. When she arrives at the shop, she's late and Joy, I guess her supervisor, has moved the rota around to show Evelyn the ropes, which Evelyn isn't too happy about. The shop operates like a well-oiled machine, apparently, which is a red flag for Evelyn again. Yes. And later, we see Evelyn clearing up donations in a bin while Joy barks instructions at her from the back room. Football yearbooks and date order... (sighs) put a county strip on that dummy and other stuff that I couldn't be bothered writing down. Right, she's she's spraying shoes with disinfectant. Evelyn contemplates bludgeoning Joy to death with a cricket bat, but instead just grabs her bag and leaves without saying a word. Yes. And she goes to Dev's to complain, but Dev is looking for an emergency shift from her because he's got something he needs to do. Mary comes in and she brags about getting a role in the production of Roxana and then Chesney arrives and he needs her to look after Hope and Hope reckons that her nan is a bit of an alky. She calls Devon in great, Ches a pushover, Hope a cheeky little madam and Mary about as talented as her morning shite and she storms off. Yes. And next we see her she's got a suitcase and she's heading for the tram station explaining to Asher that she's going to visit a friend, the one who lives furthest away from Coronation Street. And I guess that's a charity shop fun absolutely fucked then. Yeah. And also, <clears throat> the great anorak hunt. Yeah, for what happened 
What happened? We still have a fan. That was the best part of last week. These are the stories we want. These are the stories we're invested in. And you're just going to plow it over? We, we, I think you took a bit of a risk last week by mm-hmm. going with that as the, the moment of the week. Right. And, I and you did it. not object. No, I didn't object. And I posted it expecting some kind of pushback. All a complaint from one or two voices right. that this was never moment of the week. Right. But all we really got was yes. was consent and an agreement. Absolutely. That this is really what Coronation Street should be about. Right. The drama of finding Roy's dead wife, Anorak. And and this week's approach to that is to ignore it completely. And right. the potential to have some fun with Evelyn and Joy in... And the charity shop, like I said last week, they're, they're two very different characters. Mm-hmm. They're, they're bound to clash, and it looked like they were going to, especially as the power dynamic is is, is shifted in favour, right, of joy. A, away from Evelyn, right. And it lasted half an episode, and right. then and then went away, yeah. And then Evelyn went away. Now I know that she's gone off doing her her theatre stuff, right. And I presume that this is what that that leads into we need an yeah. excuse to get rid of her for right for a few weeks or a, a couple of months so we have everyone piling on her right at the same time right in the same scene sure and i don't know if i feel kind of disappointed and shortchanged in that a yeah, little bit because we don't people kind of are not seen in the show for weeks nay months and then just kind of show back up you know, without explanation all the time. Mm. So why do we have to, why do we have to be this obvious about Evelyn going away and giving her some rubbish excuse about why she's going away? Rushed much. It seems rushed. It does. And one would, um, one would assume that her having to take a few weeks off for other commitments would have been well known well before this. Mm. Mm. I don't think the, the Roy jacket storyline is tied to this. At least I don't think so. It would seem strange to get rid of Haley's coat just so Evelyn can have a break for a, a couple of months. Right. But yeah. but the whole charity shop thing very much feels that way. Yeah. And so, that was because of the Anorak. Right. So So I imagine the Anorak story will come back. The great Anorak hunt. <laughs> I don't know if you can say Anorak and Hunt back to back like that. That's why I do it. <laughs> because it's fun. Anorak Hunt. <laughs> I don't know if we can get away with that. It's even funny when you say it. And then we're kind of robbing ourselves of the the joy of joy. Right, yeah. Had so a, much a potential, potential in that right? storyline. Ah, oh, well... Yeah, and that and that is no, that, that's it. We're far more interested in in people murdering other people inexplicably. Well, I think we've kind of talked about that as much as we possibly can because nothing really happened. No. So we'll move on to the next story, which is <clears throat> Leo no go Steve o o. And then I ran out of things that ended in O. Okay. That's On fine. Monday. I think that I think that's enough. That's good that you temper me like that. I need that influence. <laughs> yes, because if there's uh, one thing people know about me, 
It's that I'm a tempering influence. Moving on. <laughs> on Monday, Anina Rolls Leo comes in, sees Stephen, and immediately starts hounding him. Stephen insists that the only thing Leo has to worry about is his girlfriend and warns him to keep his nose out of his sinkhole. A uh, business. Later in the pub, Leo has found Stephen's company's website, which is it's weird because it's it's st read fashion, uh-huh. but the way they've the way the logo looks, I'm not sure how you pronounce how you're supposed to pronounce it. Is it Saint Reed or is it Street? I think it's like it's it's like Jose Bank, which is Joseph A Bank, but on all of their signage, it's J O S dot A dot Bank. At least you can say Joss. You can't say Street. But uh, I don't know. Street, kind of like Steed. I reckon Steed Bonnet. I reckon this is why he's broke. (laughs) Name your company better. Yeah, the the website looks really nice though. Who's maintaining that? And where's where, where's the money? Jenny is arranging a farewell sesh at the bistro and Leo's off with some of his rugby mates. Supposedly. When Jenny leaves, Leo admits to Daisy that he's having trouble getting the thought of Jenny and Stephen out of his mind. And at this point, Sinkhole Leo's dad appears at the bar. His name is Teddy, in case you forgot. Right. And all of a sudden, he's had a personality change. And remember that his dad remembers Jenny. Right. And, and actually remembers her being a bit of a slag. And hit on her and seemed quite pleased that Leo had bagged her in the very beginning of this relationship. Let's yeah. not forget that. Yeah. He was quite pleased with this. He warns his son from flying halfway around the world. Well, it's about a sixth of the way around the world, really. For a trollop that's twice his age. Daisy objects to some or all of that and Leo throws his dad out threatening to boot his pie if he ever darkens the door again. Now, how did how did Leo's dad find out about Jenny snogging someone else? Oh, he overheard uh, Leo and Daisy talking about it when they came in. Ah, okay. But but why was he mad? But he was mad already. And no, yet- he was mad, mad at hearing that because that was the first thing that he said was who was winching who? Or something like that. Right, but the whole reason he came in was to say not to marry Jenny, who's... All oh, I of thought a sudden, it was just to say cheerio. All of a sudden, he, like, objects to Jenny being older than Leo when, again, he was all for this relationship in the very beginning. And a bit of a slag. Yeah, he wasn't saying anything about her being a slag in the beginning. No, he wasn't. Yes, it's, it's odd how personalities change to fit a plot, isn't it? <laughs> Is it? We're used to this. Daisy warns Leo not to let uh, this get on top of him, and just to but let like and just to let the whole Stephen thing go. Otherwise, he may lose everything. So Leo goes to the appointment that he made last week with the state agent, and he learns that Stephen made the appointment two weeks ago to um, to get the valuation done for Audrey's house. Right, and he seemed desperate for a quick sale. Later, Leo walks by a conversation between Stephen and Gabrielle and he goes up the factory gantry for a better look or something. I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand how Stephen would have been able to get away with selling his mum's house that he's not an owner of or has any hold of the title. Especially while Audrey's still living in it. Right. I think he was selling the equity of it. So 
it was like a buyback mortgage or something like that. I think. Yeah, I but assume. even that, he has no, he oh, has no it, claim. It would require some forgery of, of signatures, I guess. Right, but Audrey would have to sign it in front of the title manager, wouldn't she? Oh God, no! Like I, I've told you this before, one of the mortgages that I got in the UK, I got without signing a single thing. That's so weird to me. Oh, completely unethical. He goes up to the factory gantry for a better look or something and over the yard where Stephen threw bins the other week, he hears Stephen confess that he's stealing the equity from Audrey's house to pay Gabrielle. She leaves and then Leo coughs and announces his presence. Oh, it sounds like you're in a little bit of trouble here, matey boy, says Leo. Why, Leo? Why would you do that? Why would you announce your presence? Why wouldn't you just immediately go off and tell Audrey about this? So Stephen, rather than waiting for Leo to come down, he climbs up to the gantry as well. Leo explains everything he knows Stephen refuses to be blackmailed and they scuffle and as Leo takes time during the scuffle to bend down to pick up his phone Stephen launches an attack and sends Leo over the gantry fence where he falls into a dumpster or a bin to his death and Stephen quickly goes down he looks a little shocked by the whole thing and then closes the lid now (laughs) I wasn't expecting this. You know how... Were you expecting this? No. <laughs> because <laughs> many things. But first of all, just the dynamic of one man who is older and weaker... Than rugby playing single Leo? shorter. Right. Being able to somehow push a man who's a foot taller than him and buff as heck... Hmm. And chiseled and young and strong. These are all ticks in the boxes for Joe Frost. Well done, Joe Frost. Over, over, it's it's not just pushing, it's pushing over. (laughs) It's getting this giant man over the railings. This is the most ridiculous murder on the street ever. Oh, I don't think you can say that. Of all time. (laughs) Because it doesn't make sense and it's so dumb. Leo, there must have been like something in the bin, in the dumpster. There's got to be. And that he hit in just the right way to kill him. Because that fall wasn't nearly as big as the fall Adam had. And Adam (laughs) hit his head on the floor of that mall and not only survived but had no lasting repercussions for and was out of the hospital in a week i think he was out later that day wasn't he <laughs> i think it was possibly it was possibly 24 hours in the hospital you know that. if <clears throat> remember the thought he was going to go blind it, yeah right, yeah if you're going to be ridiculous at least be consistent in your ridiculousness now i think and when we see the because we see the fall happen a, a couple of times through right. the week. When you see it from the the ground level where the, the dumpster or the skip is, right. it looks like his head is going to hit the the side of the bin. He's too far over. It, it's not <clears throat> it's not a, a trajectory that's straight down where his entire body has fallen right into the bin. His head looks like it's kind of going to clip 
the the edge of it right and and i guess something that must have happened because when we see leo and we see him a couple of times he's got a little trickle of blood coming out of his ear right so i assume there's been some head trauma there but adam had blood trickling out of his ear too and that floor was much harder than a plastic dumpster yeah he looked like he fell maybe four feet <laughs> maybe five feet maybe six feet maybe maybe fell and six again feet. there's no way a man like steven could push a man like leo over a railing and a bin full of rubbish right yeah full of uh, stuff that they're thrown out from a knicker factory so soft fabric maybe i don't know it just maybe it's like amazed. a broken mirror or something i was amazed when that when this is it when he's dead he's he's yeah, gone like you didn't realize i was like i can't believe this has been spoiled for me because it was spoiled for me because before it was even available on BritBox, people were talking about leo dying which is a pet peeve of mine even though i watch everything on friday but i can see a way around this <laughs> but you know you didn't even realize he was dead i expected him to be knocked out right and he'll come round. right We'll we'll get through that. Right. I know we complain an awful lot about the guns on the show, but it would have if if they were going to have Stephen murder Leo, the only logical way would have been with a gun, right? Or, you can't overpower this giant. Or get David to do it. Impressive, you know, specimen of a man. Mm-hmm. You easy tiger. <laughs> And, and you can tell that the show knows that this is ridiculous because they speed it up so that you can't really see it. Oh, yeah. It's all quick, it's all quick cuts. Boom, 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 stuff, boom, boom. Right? Because they can't explain how this wee man, this tiny floppy man. Well, Senko Leo does say, to him, don't get yourself too agitated here, old man. Right. And then bends down to pick up the phone, which I think is his, uh, he's, he thinks that he's in no danger here. Right. But, because he shouldn't be. But Stephen hits him over the head first. So maybe that's where the head trauma comes from. Hits him over the head, bludgeons him with something, I don't know what, and, and then pushes him over. He kind of just like punches him. But Leo has a hold of the railing while he's bending down to pick up his phone. So his grip on that railing should be enough to keep Stephen from picking him up and launching him over. Maybe. Because he's bent so it it's not even like a force of gravity or physics or anything at work here because all of leo's body at that point is below the railing i think Stephen has obviously taken judo where you're famously taught to use your opponent's weight against them that's what's happened to you anyway mm. we've got lots to get through so steven's obviously shocked by this and it seems to it seems to almost be an accident and then he shits himself when Sarah shows up, curious to know what he's up to. He explains that he wanted some fresh air. And after asking if the bin men had been bin men, she drags him away to the bistro for a drink. Right. Stephen looking back to the skip now looks very exposed in the middle of the yard. Then the bistro, Stephen is with an earshot of Jenny and her party, which is the last place he wants to be. And he hears Jenny phone Leo and leave a message on his phone. Don't do anything. I wouldn't. Uh, nothing. Ignore this. Look at the time. Stephen clearly has sand in his foreskin. Is on the verge of tears and makes his excuses to Sarah and leaves. As he's leaving, though, Jenny chases after him to tear a strip off him for grasping at Leo, saying that Leo could kick fuck out of him if he's not careful. 
Stephen is magnanimous and wishes them all the best, which catches Jenny off guard. But then we see police outside the factory and Carla screaming on Stephen, Oi, Canada dry, get your arse over here pronto. And Stephen sounds <laughs> like he's about to vomit into his shoes and he hangs his head and does as he's told. But it turns out the only thing that Carla's pissed off about is that he left the door to the gantry open and the alarm went off and that summoned the cops. Carla apologises to the non-tinker PCs. Oopsie, says Stephen, trying to sound light-hearted. And they all go outside to have a look. The coppers apologising that their car seems to have blocked the bin men from coming. Everything's in order and Carla wants to lock up. So Stephen comes back in the dead of night with Kirk's factory van. He pushes over the skip, drags Leo's corpse out, loads it into the back of the van. And again, there's no way this man can lift this other man who is now significantly more heavy because he's dead and drag him over. And the whole cop thing was so ridiculous because they find a crushed bottle and they're going to put it in the dumpster and Stephen's like, no, 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 I'll take it. And let's not forget, Leo's phone is still somewhere in the vicinity These cops don't find a loose cell phone and find it suspicious. They don't open these bins and look inside them because they've been called. This doesn't make any sense at all. And it's just, it it seems like it's a scene that's just put in here to infuriate people like me. (laughs) Like, oh, oh, he's going to get caught. The cops aren't there to, the cops aren't there to investigate anything. That's not, that's not the cop's job. Cops don't investigate stuff. Except when they do. Except when they're there to investigate an alarm going off. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, here is this here is this bin big enough to hide a person right by the open door. And there's a cell phone lying on the ground. At, at this point in the week, after being somewhat relieved that we'd, I don't know if we'd solved it, but we'd certainly dealt with, uh, Rick the Chin's murder that was a murder that was now it had some resolution to it, it wasn't a perfectly no. judicial solution but it was a solution nonetheless we get rid of one and we immediately replace it with another <laughs> with, with, uh, with Cinco Leo's right. death is this law and order now? Is this? But I have to say I enjoyed Mondays enormously because of it I thought Stephen, really? yeah, I thought Stephen's uh, Stephen's character became interesting to me, and and Monday the way that he reacted to what happened by looking like he was going to be sick and he was making the most ungodly noises when Carla called him over. Right, and he's kind of like, oh boy, oh boy, this is it. This is <laughs> that it. was basically what he was doing. He was walking across the courtyard, going, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, and I. I thought, finally, this right. this character is is interesting to me, and I, that's perhaps unfair because I actually quite liked it when he came back. The last couple of weeks haven't been his uh, his best moments, but I think I I was in on this. I'm I'm approving of this. Mm. That was Monday, mm. so let's get on to Wednesday. Sure. So the next morning, and Stephen is back in the yard at the Knicker Factory, looking up at the gantry and wondering just how anybody could die from falling that short distance. <laughs> Michael appears out of nowhere, says a few bin and death-related puns, and gets Stephen to help him close out the dumpster for the bin men to finally empty it. In the rovers, Jenny is sitting in the dark, 
worried about the whereabouts of Cinco Leo. His passport and his luggage are still there, though. So where's he? Daniel, because Daniel's there, helpfully reckons that uh, he'll be tied to a lamppost without any eyebrows following his night out with his rugby mates, Hmm. or he'll be buck naked on a sleeper train to Inverness, or Audrey's son will have murdered him and disposed of the body. What do you think? What do you think of Daniel's new haircut? Uh, I don't think I noticed. Hmm. It's considerably shorter than it used to be. Is it? Hmm. I didn't spend much time looking memorizing at memorizing it. Jenny stomps off. Some people don't want help, says Daniel. Daisy remembers that. <clears throat> Jenny stomps off. Some people don't want help, says Daniel. Daisy remembers that Leo was having a wobble yesterday with his dad. Maybe he thinks this moving to Canada thing is a mistake. I don't think it was ever Leo that had questions about moving to Canada. But anyway. No, just uh, moving with Jenny, who snogged another guy when they were on a break for 24 hours. They were what? We were on a break! Thank you. Stephen is on edge, so fuck knows why he's sitting in Nina's rolls listening to Shona whitter on about her brain injury from being shot in the stomach. Jenny comes in looking for Leo and Stephen becomes interested in his paper all of a sudden. And later in the rovers, Maria notices that you could grow potatoes under Stephen's nails. Yeah, what is he doing in the rovers? What's he doing anywhere on the street? (laughs) What does he do with the body? Is it still just just in the back of the head? As far as we know, it's in the the, uh, Knicker factory van. Right. Where is he going to hide a body like that? A bit hilarious if it's buried where Rick the Chin is buried. But they found Rick the Chin. Right. Maria notices his fingernails. He claims it was from helping Audrey with her gardening while he was still in his suit. He overhears Daisy and Gemma worried that Leo has cold feet and they mention about his passport and luggage still being through the back in the rovers. Daniel and Daisy meet Jenny in the bistro to tell her about their concerns. Daniel gets a call from the nursery, though apparently Bertie has shot himself, so he has to run off to deal with that. believe it was vomit. And he leaves it to Daisy. Daisy explains their concerns about Leo having second thoughts, given how close their taxi was supposed to leave. It was like leaving in the next 40 minutes. Right. And they're still wondering where he's got to. Well, even if he comes up now, I guess we're not going to Canada anymore. Right. Maybe he's dead in a ditch. It's worse than that, says Jenny. He's dumped me. And she feels so stupid and blames it on herself for snogging that Stephen. Meanwhile, Stephen manages to creep into the back room with the rover because it's because it's Gemma that's out front. Right, but she's not out front. She's like in the back washing dishes or something. No, she comes through and then she comes back again. But she's she's the one that's that's looking after the place. Right, but there's no way he could creep through. No, there's nobody behind the bar when he creeps through. Because he'd have to walk by somebody if he creeped through the bar. There's nobody there. Why is there nobody there? You know, later on, they're going to say to Glenda that they don't need her, that they have enough staff. They obviously don't have enough staff if they don't have enough people for one person to be behind the bar and the other in the back washing dishes. And why do they not have a sink right there in the bar? Stephen manages to creep into the back room at the Rovers. Steal, Ah! Steal Leo's passport. And avoid the sentry guard of Gemma, who's behaving like a non-playable character in Grand Theft Auto. And he and his suitcase. Somehow he's able to get this passport and the suitcase out of the rovers without anyone noticing. Because well, at the back. Still. No, not still. That that's it. He goes out the back. The back door's there. That's how he gets out. He doesn't carry everything 
through the rovers and out the front. But, but still, but still, there are always people walking around on the street. I like the fact that they made Jenny's suitcases pink, pink so that uh, Stephen would know which one was Leo's. Right. Joke's on him. Right. Leo has the pink suitcases. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> so when Jenny gets back, the case and the passport are gone, and now she's sure that he's left to Canada without her. She rips off her engagement ring and throws it on one of the pink cases. And whatever Stephen does with the case and the passport, he's soon back at the Rovers, propping up the bar, while Jenny throws Michael out for asking where she and Loverboy are leaving, and then she throws Stephen out for just being there. Right. Realising she's not okay, Rita talks Jenny into going to the airport to stop Leo before he leaves. But later, she comes back from that trip unsuccessful, saying the next time she rushes to the airport to chase after a fella, remind her to do it in flats. Yeah, and this this whole thing of, oh, well, they wouldn't tell me because all of the stuff is in his name. Well, there should be a ticket under your name, Jenny, and you have identification on you. You could show your identification and say, I'm supposed to be on this flight, too, with my fiancé. I just need to know whether or not he's already on the plane. No, they wouldn't tell you. They would. No, they wouldn't. They would, because her name, she's got her ID. On her ticket. But she doesn't have her ticket. He had both tickets on his phone. Well, then she's shit out of luck. They have her name and they have her ID. Yeah. They would, they would issue her a boarding pass and then she can run through. They wouldn't tell him. They wouldn't tell her if he was on the, the flight. No, though. but they would issue her a boarding pass so that she can get through security. Well, they don't. Daisy tries to console Jenny, telling her that it's bad luck from a bad bloke. And by the way, Leo was a bit of a born old shitbag anyway. And let's <gasps> face it. This is the most interesting thing he's ever done. And I was applauding the screen at my new favourite character, Daisy. Shameful. Because she's right. She's absolutely right. Imagine being stuck in Canada with no mates and that dull prick. He rescued Jenny from the sinkhole. Oh, no, wait. Shona no. rescued Jenny from the sinkhole. Yeah. What did Leo do that night? He identified the sinkhole <laughs> and then formed a cordon around the, the sinkhole at the end of the street it didn't affect that didn't affect anything because people kept falling down the sinkhole continually like lemmings <laughs> over the side of a cliff what's this then <clears throat> she's still the right side of fabulous though says daisy and then we see stephen on a patch of waste ground near a chemical plant burning a very small pile of clothes and leo's passport where's the where's the suitcase so you're going to burn the suitcase and the pass and, the, and some of the clothes from the suitcase. Can't possibly be all the clothes from the suitcase, can it? It didn't look like it. It, it no. looked like the clothes that Leo was wearing. That's how much clothes it looked. Right. Maybe that was Leo. <laughs> he <laughs> chopped him up into teeny tiny bits and then a lit him on fire. A quick scoosh of lighter fluid and then that was all that was needed for that. <sighs> it's so, it's so dumb. <laughs> So dumb. On Friday, Jenny is in the back room letting go of her anger when Daisy comes in. Daisy tried calling Leo again, but his phone is still off, so she left a message for him to call Jenny. And this just makes Jenny more furious, and she stomps out. Meanwhile, Stephen is hanging out at the bins again. Good times. He spots Leo's phone this time under one of the blue bins, and it still has charge in it, so he quickly sticks it in his uh, breast pocket. It was manufactured by the same people who made... Laura the Chin's digital camera. No, I'll give them a pass on this. If I don't use my phone, the charge of my phone lasts days. If I don't touch it. And that's basically what his phone's been 
been mm-hmm. like. So I'll give them a pass. He must that. not have enough apps open. Right. Glenda turns up at the Rovers for her shift, but Daisy tells her that thanks to Jenny now going to Canada, Glenda's services are no longer needed. But Jenny comes through and takes pity on Glenda and throws her a few hours out of the goodness of her heart because I think everybody knows that Glenda is destined to work at the Rovers. Yes. Because if she's not going to work at the Rovers, where are they going to put her? Right. Teddy comes back in to get Jenny's number and is shocked to see that Jenny's still there. Leo's not answering his phone and if something happens, he's going to hold Jenny responsible. And Stephen, who's obviously hanging around because when he's not looking at at blue bins, he's in the Rovers. And he takes full responsibility for this, saying, look, it wasn't Jenny that, that kissed me, it was me that kissed Jenny. And he took advantage of the situation. Mm-hmm. This doesn't seem to cut any cheese with Teddy, but Jenny looks grateful and she gets him a free pint as Daisy goes to call Leo again, while Stephen tries to hide that his tits have lit up because Leo's phone is still in his breast pocket. Right, and everybody ignores the fact that he's got a ringing phone in his pocket. Right. Nobody says... Oh, are you going to get that? I thought it was curious that Daisy decided not to call him this time, but to FaceTime him. So maybe the noise is different. The the, the tone is different. But how they didn't notice that, that his tits are vibrating right. and have lit up. Right. And now he's suddenly making these excuses and leaving and nobody notices that. I thought it was... Come on now. Come on, guys. Come, you just, Come on. Do you know the way to, to make this believable? Just don't have that happen. Right. Nobody forces you to have that to happen no. at that point. No. Well, it's like the whole cop thing. They keep they keep getting so close, so close to catching him, and then it doesn't happen. Do, do they think that this adds suspense? Do they think that this is clever? Okay, it does add a little bit to it. For you you kind of shift a little bit uneasily when you think that he's about to get No, because you want caught. him to get caught. Oh, I don't. I'm quite happy for Stephen to be a murderer here. I don't, I You're don't, an awful person. I don't want him to get caught because Daisy's right. Leo was a boring, boring character. He was He was nice and he didn't have a deep, dark secret. He was perfect in every way. Our friend Chris Anstey on Twitter pointed out that his contract started on the, the 27th of September last year and his last scene was the 26th. So it's like, yep. that'll, that'll be a one-year contract then. Right. And that'll be there that not renewed. No, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of interested to see how, how Stephen <laughs> goes about this. <clears throat> so, meanwhile, Glenda has forgotten how to pull a pint again, but despite this, Jenny gives her more hours tomorrow for Johnny's quiz. Yes, and that's perfect. Glenda is perfect for the quiz. Yeah. Question number one. Who eats chili con carne without rice? <clears throat> no, it'll be like something about her tits or something. I, I, their boobs are not tits. Her bosoms. She has boobs. Stephen goes to the gunnel to fail to guess Leo's passcode a few times and is spotted by Aggie, who jokes about him looking like he's up to no good. No, I'm not, not up to anything. I'll believe you, says Aggie. Thousands wouldn't. Right. Through the back, Jenny has decided to take a few days to come to terms with all this. And Glenda, with her cruise experience, is now fully in charge of the quiz. And that's as far as we get with this ridiculous story like this. So stupid. <laughs> I'm still enjoying it. I'm I am enjoying not. It. I am enjoying it. I am not. 
because I already was just like, why has no one caught Stephen on being a very, very bad person and trying to steal money from Audrey? You know, he was already getting away with so much with his white male privilege. And now it's just it's just even more ridiculous because he's gotten away with murder. Will he murder again? Is this the end of his murder spree or is he going to be a serial killer? Is he going to murder his mom? Was it accidental? The first time always is, isn't it? I think so. I don't think he deliberately set out to kill No, I Leo, think it was just the scuffle. The scuffle and the, and the situation. He did seem to lift him up or, or push him over, but... Which yeah, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, but I, d- I do think it's it's accidental, which makes it fall into that whole accidental murderer category that Coronation Street Gary, loves so much. Get that Gary lives in. Yeah. Now and Gary John and Stape lived in. And Stephen are roommates. Right. <sighs> I think it's given... Uh, we're getting to see a bit of Stephen here that I don't know if it's if it's uh, if it's built on what's already been there from from the Audrey storyline, but his he's he's clearly caught himself a bit short with this. He doesn't quite know what to do, so he's he's doing I guess the first thing that comes into his mind. The fact that he's back at those bins all the time is it, it's kind of hilarious to me that he's such an inept killer that he's doing what is textbook for a killer to do which is always return to the scene of the crime right but he's just, to, to do it once is is kind of textbook to do it again is it's kind of unforgivable that <laughs> they just can't seem to drag himself away from there or the rovers and maybe it's the guilt of it that is that's playing on him obviously not playing on him enough to do anything right about it and but. i mean he's such a he, he's already been firmly established in our heads as just this slimy unethical character who has no druthers about stealing from his mum and threatening women you know so it's really not above and beyond the scope of possibility for him to be bad enough to murder I don't think he should be this inept and yet his ineptitude is working for him somehow right? because he keeps doing these things where he could just very easily be caught and he's not caught because reasons. Well, when he was through the back in the rovers, he was hiding behind the door when Gemma came in and that door's not covering him. So we have to have Gemma looking at her feet all right. the way in and all the way out again right. to cover and up the fact that... Toast. that um, Right, that 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 she doesn't see him, because if it if she does or see him, hear him, or anything, him, you know, the fact that there's nobody else in the rovers during that time who notice him going into the back. Right. Come on, there's always somebody in the rovers. You know, it's just if you're gonna have a murdering story where somebody falls off a ledge when last week you had an almost murder story where someone was being forced to jump off a building. Yeah. Well, let's not pick up that scarf. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Just let's move on. then. Uh, please. Our next storyline is the aftermath of that storyline. Right. That I'm calling shot through the heart. And you are to blame. 
on Monday, Devin Asher visiting Addy in hospital, but he doesn't want to see them. He only wants to see Kelly. Kelly is the only one who understands, even though she would be pretty surprised to learn that Addy took a point-blank bullet to the torso and looks like he was getting his tonsils out. Meanwhile, Gary and Maria think Kelly has gone walkabout rather than jumped on a plane to Thailand. There's a call at the door and it's Dev looking to have a word. Kelly is in Thailand though, right? That's what's happened. She's not just wandering about the streets now, is she? She bought a ticket to Thailand. She's going to go to Thailand. Right. And it's a loud, angry word that Dev's looking for. And there are several of them, as Gary tries to explain without really explaining, saying that Addy was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and there's no one after Addy now. Dev also and wants calls to- him collateral damage, which, you yeah, know, that doesn't is go down be- well. believable for, you know, an ex-soldier to say, but still, it's not something that you say to a father. Dev also wants a favour from Gary because Addy is in hospital and fighting and is finding it impossible to accept that his relationship with Kelly is over. So Gary and Dev go to the hospital and try to convince Addy that the relationship is well and truly over and not only that, that Kelly wants a clean break and was having doubts about the wedding before the engagement party happened and that it was a joke that got out of hand. Right, and cruelly say that she never loved him. It's such an awful thing to say to this kid. Yeah, I want to punch them both in the face. This information crushes Addy, just like Rana, under the debris from a knicker factory roof. And then Gary physically rips Addy's heart out of his chest puts it on the floor, and pisses on it. Yes. And Gary's back at the flat explaining what happened at the hospital to Maria and contemplating making amends by confessing. Maria insists that he's no use to her or the kids if he's in the nick. And then DS Beckett shows up. DS Beckett's back. Yay! And she wants a quick wor- word with Gary down at the station, just like old times. Yes. Do we used to call her DS Fringe? No, that's not DS Fringe. Fringe somebody else? She's another one. Ah. I think we're done with DS Blondie for now. Sadly. I like DS Blondie. Yes. At the station, Beckett puts it all together about the kidnapping, about the shooting, about the failed ID at the lineup, about the deaths of Rick the Chin and Laura the Chin, and now the disappearance of Kelly the Chin. She reckons Gary's that... Gary's not responsible for the death of Laura the Chin, though. You can't say sh- he gave her cancer. <laughs> Gary? Gary? Did were, you give Laura cancer? Were you feeding her asbestos with her oatmeal? <laughs> She reckons that he's up to his neck in it. No sprackens he deutsch, baby, says Gary, and he folds his arms in that Gary way he has of folding his arms. Mm. And he gets home and tells Maria how Beckett couldn't pin him down. It's in the kidnapper's interest to keep their mouth shut, he says. And he gets a call from the cops who let him know that Kelly's been in touch and she's fine, and they've charged Kieran the kidnapper and at least one of his henchmen. So it looks like, once again, Teflon Gary has gotten away with it. Do you think that other that other kidnapper is is dead in the ditch? Yes, he's still he's still dead in the forest. Right. Although Gary did check to make sure he was still alive. But still, if he was still alive but passed out and was exposed to the elements for overnight, <laughs> potentially catching hypothermia, he'd be dead by now. Well, again, he's been knocked out. Right. So he, has and he hasn't some, gotten back up again. Some head trauma, and I think Gary just said, "You're not dead, are you?" And Good. I don't, I don't think there was any response. So, he, so maybe. I thought he checked his pulse. But even if he was alive at that point, he could be dead now. Right, that'd be fun. <laughs> He's accidentally killed somebody else. Although this time was was 
self-defense. It was self-defense with Rick the Chin, too. What about Rana? Well, he nobody is even... Rana is a lost cause, sadly, it appears. On Wednesday, Homeless Stew catches up with Asha and learns that Kelly has fucked off without saying cheerio to him. He takes it fairly well. Asha and Nina then head off to the hospital to see Addy, who's still down in the dumps about Kelly not really wanting to get married to him. This whole affair has left him thinking that all women see him as a mug and desperate. Bitches and hoes, man, he says. Bitches, Bitches and, and hoes. In the Rovers, Nina and meets Maria, and they talk about Addy's new outlook on the ladies and how his experience with Kelly has left him scarred and thinking that they're all a bunch of fucking liars. So Maria goes to see Addy and tells him that it's in his best interest to let Kelly go. She was messed up, had a really tough upbringing, and didn't know what she wanted in life. If you love her, let her go, plus other platitudes. Right. He asks if that means hoping that she'll come back one day, and Maria tells him that he can waste his life waiting, or he can get on with loving. And she tells him that Kelly thought... Get busy living. Get busy dying. Get busy dying. She tells him that Kelly thought the most of him more than she did anyone else in the world. Aww. There was another funny scene when uh, Addy, when Asha and Nina went back to the hospital to right. to suggest going away glamping or something. Right, yes. And then the nurse comes in and says, have you had a bowel movement? And the two of them go, right, we'll see you later then. Cheerio. <laughs> Cheerio then. I need to catch my bus. On Friday. Glamping. <clears throat> Glamour camping. Right, yes, I know what glamping is. Oh, you, I just, you looked confused. No, I it, it just seems like a, a ridiculous suggestion for Addy, who has just been shot, <laughs> to at go po- glamping. blank range. Right. And the, the torso. Right, like, here? Here? <laughs> it missed all the vital organs. Right. This... And one, this would, fictitious and, bullet. and one would think that if it was like over by it, it, it did seem like it was over by his armpit, and there are some major veins going through there, isn't there? I don't know. I'm just glad that they kept him in for more than an overnight. Yes, he was in for a for a week because he gets out on Friday. On Friday, Dev is watering his plants, but not like that. And Betty comes along to see how he was doing. She offers her ear and tells him to take a break. So back at Chesney's, Bernie makes Dev a cuppa and some cake. And Dev opens up to how he feels like he's let Addy down again because Addy nearly died again and has ended up in hospital again. Right. He saddled this all wrong. Bernie tells him that he's the best dad in the world and he always has his kids' best interests at heart. It's it, It's hilarious because when Bernie walks up to him outside... She asks him if he's misting his plants and he says, he seems to think that she's asking if he's missing his pants. Yes. Which is hilarious because of what happens next. Meanwhile, in the Rovers, Ash is looking for Dev uh, because Addy is now ready to be picked up. Chesney is there and says Dev was at his. So they both head off back there to see if that's still the case. So when they get home, Benny comes down from upstairs looking a bit, well, and then Dev comes down with his half his shirt hanging out of his trousers, they kind of realise that the two of them have been right. have been at it. Have been getting it on. And Ash is like, oh, Dad. And Come on. So the two of them are leaving, but then Bernie notices that Dev's underwear is in the leg of his trousers. Yes. And and so, so that's a mystery solved. Dev wears boxers. So steps on it. Right. And then as they go, she bends down to, to pick up and says... I guess he really was missing his pants. 
Right. Put a pump tish. To which Chesney says, <laughs> And that made me laugh. That was funny. Chesney made me laugh. Yeah. Well done, Chesney. Right. Dev and Asha go to pick up Addy. Uh, Only you could save your girlfriend's life and still get dumped, says Asha. That was pretty funny. He wonders why they're late. Asha makes an excuse about the shop and then Addy goes to say cheerio to the nurses before he leaves. Because he's which just is that such kind of a, a kid. lovely Addy thing to do. He reminds he reminds me of, of cheese on reservation dogs. Back home, Dev is pampering Addy when Bernie comes back in with a bag, which Addy misinterprets as a present, but it turns out that it contains his dad's underpants, and this sets him back. <laughs> this is how much Dev cares about his son that he was getting his hole rather than picking them up. No one gives a shit about me, says Addy. So Bernie argues Dev's case, saying Dev is a shadow of his former self. He's aged 20 years. He's haggard and pale now. And Dev's like, oi. He's got bags under his eyes for days. And he went along with Addy's wishes with Kelly. Dev loves you both, she says, and his underpants. But he needed someone to talk to. Dev makes mistakes just like you two. And that seems to do the trick. And then there's rolls Ash and Addy chat about Dev's pants. Then comes a fully dressed Dev to apologise for getting his hole. He insists that Addy is never second best and proposes a fresh start. And Addy forgives him. So that's all that taken care of now. Because he's a good kid. I hate I hate that that Gary went along with Dev and saying, "Oh, Kelly never loved you." I f- I feel like that's such a shitty thing to do to that kid. Yeah, Gary went along so far, and then. It was Dev that tried to talk him into really sticking the knife in. And when Gary wouldn't, Dev did it himself. But Gary went along with it. Right, yeah. Dev doesn't know exactly what happened. No. Because to know exactly what happened is to know that Kelly knows that Gary killed Kelly's dad. And that Kelly tried to get revenge by getting... The kidnappers to kill Gary. Yeah, when what Kelly really should have done is spoken to Stephen. <laughs> Apparently, um, how much does Addy know? He doesn't know about any of it. I don't think he knows about the, he the knows, photograph, and he knows, and he knows about the kidnappers because they shot him. They know that he's she's been kidnapped again by the same guys who already kidnapped her once. Yeah, but she he doesn't know about Rick the Chin. And no, he doesn't know about Gary and Rick the Chin. No. And he doesn't know that Kelly tried to get Gary killed. Correct. So he doesn't know anything. So that's it. <laughs> if that photograph is now gone, which I assume it is, right? then there's there's nothing left to tie, even remotely, Gary back to this. Right. And the whole DS Beckett thing is just a tease. Right. Because the police would be interested, I guess. Right. It would be ridiculous if the police weren't interested in Gary and Kelly again getting roped up in something where somebody's shot. Right. Yeah. So they had to show some interest in right. it. Right. But yeah. <sighs> and and again, but you're right, poor the, Rana is never going to get justice. But you're right. What they're doing here to poison Addy against Kelly, because... Because Addy's a, what, he's 17? Mm-hmm. So he's still, still a boy. Right. And it's really... His second po- relationship ever? Right. Just really poisoning him against women. Right, yeah. He's saying some very disturbing things there. He's starting to sound like Max a little bit. 
<laughs> right. And we don't want that for our Addy. Not for Addy, no. Not for our precious, precious child, whom we love so much. Let's move on then. Our next story is Guiding the Lily. Not, on Monday. Not, not gilding? No. Huh? On Monday, James is doom scrolling. That's a word now that's used in the lexicon of Coronation Street by Aggie. Right. Aggie isn't really interested, but she stays awake while James complains about how withdrawing his new contract was a slap in the face, and now he doesn't even know if he wants to play football ever again, and if he does, he doesn't want to play for a team at a lower level, and Aggie's like... Sorry, what? And the Rovers, Sarah tells him... Sorry, I've just been busy saving lives. Sarah tells him that he's Lily's favourite player, and she's thrilled that he's back on his feet. James is still of a mind to quit, but Michael tells him not to make up his mind just yet and suggests letting his contract wind down. Which, why, why wouldn't you do that? Right. Ed joins him later and they have a chat about players who retired early and some who didn't retire early. And it's scintillating stuff. Back home, James asks for privacy as he calls Bob Dover to let him know his decision. <laughs> and then he announces to the gathered family that he's quit and he's now an ex-footballer. No one seems to care too much. But James is pleased that he's made the right decision. Bob Dover will never not be funny. Yeah, I know his. I know his uh, brother Ben says Aggie a week too late. <laughs> On Wednesday, Aggie is because that's the thing about comedy, isn't it? Timing. Yeah, timing. Aggie is one minute away from steaming open James's mail to find out his deal from Weather County when Dee Dee arrives unannounced. Huzzah! It's Dee Dee. It's Didi. She's like Glenda, but we're not going to say that. Mm. It's Glenda again. She's Glenda. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's Glenda again. Mm. They all hug, but then Didi realizes that she's left her bag in the taxi because this is what Didi is. She's forgetful, right? But she's also a lawyer. <laughs> Somehow, because that's a famous trait for lawyers, isn't it? To be forgetful. It's not about detail. Outside, she enlists the help of a passing Shona to get the name of the cab firm, but as they're phoning around, her back, her black cab comes back anyway. Dee Dee is eternally grateful to Shona, who didn't seem to actually do anything. But she was, she, she started to call streetcars for her. And told somebody to tell Roy that she was running late for work because she was going to help Didi f- track down her stuff. Shona, who didn't she was kind seem to, to a stranger. Back inside, Didi finally meets up with James. She asks about the offer from the club, but when James opens his envelope, he's been offered a pittance from them. Didi snatches a letter and is immediately on the phone to Bob Dover's secretary <laughs> to arrange a meeting, calling herself James's agent. One wonders what James's agent would have to say about all of this. Does James have an agent? Surely he has an agent. One would assume, but we've never... You, If he does, this agent has been doing a dreadful job <laughs> all the way through. And every time that he's ever had a meeting with Bob Dover, he doesn't have anybody else with him. No. So later, James and Didi meet up with Bob and the chief exec. James doesn't seem to have a leg to stand on here. He had a heart attack while playing an unsanctioned game of fives and he chose to retire rather than see out his contract. So it's not exactly clear what they expect from the club. Didi points out that the club posted pictures from the charity game, which is tactile approval, and then makes some veiled threats about James going to the press about being the first openly gay footballer being hung out to dry by his club after a medical issue. And she tells him that she expects her counteroffer in the next 24 hours. All this 
is just woefully wishful thinking on Didi's behalf. But as they leave, she reckons that they now have the upper hand. And they do. Back at Nina's Rolls, Didi goes to repay the non-existent favour that she got from Shona later, earlier uh, and talks James into offering to coach Lily ahead of her under-10s tryouts. Lily and Shona are suddenly massive fans of James now that he's crocked. The training session with Lily goes well. He tells her to try her best and enjoy it, with Shona reckoning that James is a natural and he's enjoyed himself more doing the kiddie training since he almost died. Back home, the whole family's present when James gets a call from Bob Dover. They've upped their offer and it's beyond James's wildest dreams. Huzzah! So it's off to the Rovers for a celebratory alcoholic drink and snacks made from saturated fats. Woohoo! On Friday, Ronnie comes round to see James, whose mood has taken a bit of a dive. Ronnie thinks that he needs a job and suggests that he turns up at the bistro to see if there are any hours going there to keep him busy for a bit until he comes up with a new plan. James thinks he deserves a break from being a pampered footballer and veggies out in front of the TV. Aggie has made lunch while Dee Dee has taken residence at the kitchen table. She tries to rope James into being her free paralegal, but James now decides to go for the bistro job after all. And he turns up for his interview. Shona is shocked to see him as Lily loved her training session with him. James has no interest in working at the bistro and tells Debbie that he's only there to keep his fucking family quiet. Oh, well, where do you see yourself in five years' time then? <laughs> James, Not here! No. So what first interested you in the job? I'm not interested in the job. No. James heads to Nina Rolls and finds Lily, who is in a brilliant mood because she made the team and she credits that half-hour training session with James for her success. And she asks for another session and James isn't doing fuck all, so they go off to do that now. At home, James has had so much fun coaching Lily that he announces to his family, because that's all anybody in that family cares about, that he's decided to be a football coach. Aggie announces that she's made shepherd's pie and everyone runs away because Aggie can't cook, remember? Ugh. James takes some flowers round to Debbie to apologise for wasting her time and announces to everyone in the bistro that he's going to go into coaching and no one gives a shit, one way or the other. Although Ronnie does take a moment to seemingly punch James in the chest after he's just recovered from a heart attack. And that's as far as we get with that story yeah, this week. It's a light, you know, <clears throat> tap. Now, this isn't really the full introduction to Dee Dee, and she's going to crop up in, in another, another storyline. Story but what did you make of her debut? Yeah, she's all right. I like her. She's she's fun. When she was first announced and they were describing her as being this, you know, big-hearted woman who, you know, never never says no to people in need but it's also a bit flighty and a bit goofy. I was like, oh, so Emma again. <laughs> right. But she's not quite Emma. No, she's not Emma at all, I don't think. You know. She's not ditzy. Right. She's just clumsy and forgetful. She, yeah. And she's only forgetful at times. Mm. And when she's doing her job, she's not forgetful. Like, she's quite good at that. Yeah, she doesn't forget who she is. Like, she recovers quite quickly from that whole, oh, well, it was, uh, you know, this was unsanctioned. Oh, really? It was unsanctioned. Then why is it on the front page of your website, sir? She recovers quite quickly from that, you know, right there on the spot, which mm. I thought was really impressive. And I think she's really impressive in that other storyline that we will be talking about, which I think is, I, I'm quite fond of that storyline. 
now that Dee Dee is involved <laughs> in it. You know, it is breathed. She breathes new life into that particular storyline. So I think I'm, I think what put my nose out of joint a little bit was how James has been reading his letter for all of three seconds mm-hmm. and she snatches it out of his hands and is immediately on the phone right. without, without saying anything to him. And we don't, I don't know at this point that we know that she has any experience in this or any qualifications in this. Do we as an audience know that she's a lawyer at this point? I think it has been mentioned in the show before when they talk about Dee Dee. Oh, re- she's always so busy with her, her law job. I don't recall. And when she's in the Rovers later, she's talking about being in Vegas and stuff. So, again, that kind of more felt like a Glenda thing to be saying. But no, I don't know. because nobody ever needs a lawyer in Las Vegas. <laughs> well, they don't because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Until, of course, climate change drains all the water. <laughs> well, well, then literally then everything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. That, that seemed very much a big sister thing to do with, with a letter. Like, nope, I am here. I'm taking charge. I'm taking care of my little brother. Whether you want me to or not. Right. But she's good at it, and she knows she's good at it. I think James is aware she's good at it too. He seems quite grateful to have somebody in his in his corner to be right because he doesn't have an agent, right? For some reason, um, again, it just confuses me where where we've pitched where the county is being. Uh, what, what? Give me a give me a club that they're comparable to because I know that they're not Liverpool. But I also know that they're not Grimsby. Or maybe they are Grimsby. I don't know. I don't know what level they're at. So therefore, I don't know how much he's getting paid. I don't even have an idea how much he's getting paid. But I do know that if he had a year left on his contract, he could have just sat that out and been paid for it. So what is he getting now? Is he just getting that up front? Well, and and let's remember, he just kind of assumed that even if he was going to set it out that he was still going to get paid for it. He made that oh, assumption already. He's got already. the contract. If he's, not, right. if he's not playing, it doesn't matter. He's got a contract. Right. He's going to get paid. Yeah. Because I'm not going to pick him because Bob Dover said no. Right. I don't know. I just I just wish it... I think they had a European game at one point, so they must have been fairly successful. Who knows? I just want to know, just quickly, just for two, take two seconds and just say, oh yeah, where the county are like this. That would help me enormously. Well, again, nobody really cares. And nobody cares about this because we all know that James isn't long for this street. Right. You know, it. Weathy County has always kind of seemed like something for the menfolk to be interested in, but never really be a part of the show. But that stadium they were in wasn't Alawa Athletic. I'll tell you that. That was a impressive looking stadium that they were in. So again, I'm just getting so many much me- mixed messages about the prowess of Weather County. Yeah. And before I invest in a kit, I'd just like to know. <sighs> Our next storyline today is Bernie at the Double. On Monday, Dev is up to high on another storyline. So while uh, Bernie tells him that she's broken Addy's first golfing trophy ever, 
he loses his tits and fires her. And she's glued a different head onto it. A completely it. different head. There's or, a different size and I think a different colour. Right, and, and I don't think even really glued. It looks like it's just scotch tape wrapped around it right. over and over again. But it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. Back home, Gemma's about to head off to a party in another storyline and, and, and another another storyline. But not before she points out that the extra money that Bernie was bringing in will be missed. So with Gemma gone and now guilty uh, that she's not pulling her weight, Bernie retrieves the card for her doppelganger, Bob from Blackadder, and gives her a call. <laughs> so Bob from Blackadder is rounding a shot and they really do look alike. They do. She's off to the horse racing and she needs Bernie to do that speed appreciation driving course thing that's run by the cops or whatever. She gives Bernie a set of her clothes to change into, recommends brushing up on her highway code, and if anyone shouts on Bob from Blackadder, they're talking to her. Cash on completion of the course and keep this between the two of them. Yeah, little beauty, says Bernie, because she's going to get 200 bucks for this. Woohoo! And Bob from Blackadder, I think her name's Fern. Uh-huh. It's Fern. Fern. On Wednesday, Bernie's up to high do, more so when Gemma reckons that Joseph has fucked off to school using her fancy Adrienne bag for his packed lunch. Is that a thing? Is that a thing I should know about? An Adrienne bag? No. Okay. Gemma wants Bernie to look after the kids because she's got work to do and of course Bernie can't explain what she's up to because it's dodgy as fuck. Yes. The bag, however, is found under the couch. Bernie is dressed to the nines and has subcontracted looking after the kids to Paul. Paul reckons that she's wearing a load of stolen gear, but Bernie calls them loners and she's off for an interview. From a mate. And the scam seems to have gone well. Bernie's on her way out when a bloke calls her back and Bernie gives it big, big licks with a posh voice, worried that she's fucked it up. But he's just returning her scarf and Bernie gives it big licks again, calling the bloke cheeky chops and then she rushes away. And she meets up with Fern in the gunnel and it's all went swimmingly well and Bernie gets paid. Fern has some other jobs for Bernie if she's interested, but Bernie knocks her back, saying that it's putting bad karma into the universe for her. Well, you know where I am if and when you change your mind, says Fern. So Bernie is in a brilliant mood when she gets home and she regales Paul with stories about how she basically shagged Noel Gallagher and Wonderwall is about her. Nana's a liar, says Paul to the two of the quads. Right. I- Ivor and Carfilly, I think the names are. <laughs> that never happened, didn't it? And that was just a delightful little scene. It was very cute. I don't understand why at this point they can't have all four quads in a scene at the same time. There's enough room around that table for two more kids. So one of those are Cleo, right? Because they were both girls. Cleo is a girl's name. Yes? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I just love Bernie so much. Yes. She's amazing in this storyline. And she was really good in the <laughs> she was really good in the storyline with Dave and Addy. Yes. And stuff and how she continually <laughs> accidentally gets her hole with Dev is just hilarious. Yes. But here, and she's telling that little story about uh, Noel Gallagher and Wonderwall. Right. Paul's reaction to it about Nana being a liar and right. that didn't really happen was, it felt very off the cuff. It, it felt, was very cute. It felt unscripted and it was just beautifully, beautifully done the way that he's talking to the kids and, and his little kiddie voice right, about, yes. about Nana being he's a liar. He's very good with the kids. I thought it was brilliant. But yeah, I just can't get enough of Bernie and... And I love the fact that Fern is kind of a social opposite to Bernie while right. being her double. That, right, there's yeah. Lo- there's lots of opportunity for right. for some there's, fun and some drama there. 
She's her social opposite, but she has the same mor- moral code. Right. Yeah. Which is hilarious. That's like the funniest part of this whole thing is that they're both shady. Yeah. <laughs> in delightful ways. Right. Yeah, I can't get enough of Bernie at the moment. She's just... I mean, you think back to how she was at the start. This is just... Uh, so glad that they took her away and tinkered under the hood and figured out what wasn't working and what was working. Then when right. they bring her back, they bring her back as a much, much better and more interesting character and just yes. so much more fun yes. the way she is here than she was right at the start. Right. And this is in keeping with her character without being kind of too gross and shady, like the whole selling we thing. Right. Yeah. That was like a a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to forget that. That wasn't a No. That wasn't a highlight. And when she no. was with that Kel and Yeah. All that Ball. business was not Ball. I mean I think Although I think, she did stick up for her son once she found out the right. truth. She's there for more than just comedy value. She can handle the Right. She can handle the, the higher emotional stuff as well. Right. But, and she did quite well in both of those regards because even though her speech to Addie and Asha was funny in parts, it was also emotional and heartfelt and something they needed to hear. Right. You know, so the fact that that she got so much action like that. Absolutely like that. And also not like that. Not like that at all. (laughs) This week I thought was was pretty good. Yep. I enjoyed it. Our last storyline this morning is Nazir and Bailey, super sleuth. <laughs> on Wednesday, homeless students of Dan are playing FIFA while Aya gets ready to put in some more hours at the lawyer's office looking for homeless students' case. But before we can get too outraged at this, Yasmin gets home fucking furious to discover Jeez. that Speed Dial is closed. Gulp, says everyone. <laughs> Later, homeless student tells Yasmin that he wishes they'd never met because her life wouldn't be ruined if that was the case. Although it still sounds a pretty shitty thing to say to someone who's been so helpful to you. She thinks between them they can get Speed Dal back on its feet and he can see justice. Later, Yasmin is determined to reopen Speed Dal tomorrow and orders Zidane to quit playing FIFA for five minutes and hand out some of these 50% off flyers. Then she and Alia head to the rovers, Alia explaining the lay of the land regarding the solicitors and homeless stew and how unless they can find someone willing to work for nothing up front, they've exhausted all avenues. So in the rovers, I guess they must overhear Dee Dee Bailey telling tales about her work in the States or something. Yeah. Because Yasmin stops her on her way to the to the toilets to ask her to look into homeless stew's case on a no win, no fee basis, which Please. is a very random thing to say to a stranger if you haven't heard that they're a lawyer. Right, yeah. I was wondering where they had found this out as well. It seemed very odd that this that this happens like this. Yeah. That she doesn't introduce herself and, oh, what do you do? You know, the typical thing that happens when somebody right. new shows up. Excuse me, complete stranger. Would you mind representing Homeless Stew in his case to try and clear his name for Moida? Oh, you're a bricklayer? Never no mind. No worries, never mind. Yeah, it was strange that we... Right. Because I've watched that scene back again from the Bailey's point of view. And I don't think she mentioned no. anything that would suggest what her line of work was. No. She was just somebody new. Right. Unless, again, maybe the Baileys have mentioned it to Yasmin at some point that their daughter's a lawyer. 
I think if that was the case, we needed to be reminded of that yeah. because it was a really strange it was very out strange. of left field thing. Yes. But on Friday, Dee Dee seems to be clumsy as she turns up at number six to go over what she's discovered so far right. from those case notes. Right. It seems that she's going to help fill in the gaps that she's discovered in his notes. Whether that proves that he's innocent or guilty, she doesn't know. It's anybody's guess. And Homeless Stew doesn't seem all that enthusiastic about this. Over breakfast, Dee Dee reveals that Stu was the only one interviewed under caution. Charlie's best friend has said that she had an on-again, off-again boyfriend, but that was never investigated, and also her dad was a bit of a thug. No alibis had been checked out. Dee Dee has spent an hour or two on this and wants to track down Lennox, and she asks Alia to have a word with Stu's ex-wife and daughter to see if they're sticking to their stories of being in bed and sleeping through Stu getting home that night 33 years ago. Aya has no intention of speaking to Mrs. Homeless Stew, right. but knows where Bridget works. So she turns up at Bridget's nail salon wearing the exa- exact same colour of outfit. Everyone's wearing plum, it seems. It was like mm. it was a cult. She says she's a friend of Stew's, and that about wraps it up for Bridget. Aya is determined and asks about her early night 30 years ago, and Bridget says that she slipped with headphones on and then, tells, and then tells Alia that she doesn't know what her mother did. Don't you want your dad to be innocent, asks Alia. Bridget sticks their guns and tells Alia to fuck off and take her plum pantsuit with her. Back home, Homeless Stu is pissed at Alia going behind his back and speaking to Bridget. He really does seem seem to have a problem with people trying to help him here. Well, let's remember, his wife, his ex-wife said, you know, if you want a relationship with, with Bridget and your granddaughter whose name escapes me at the moment, but I know it's an old-fashioned name. Eliza. Yes. You need to drop all of this. Mm -hmm. So I think that is still kind of stuck in the back of his head. But I don't know if he made a decision with that. And if he did, then it would have been good to hear it at this point because we haven't been thinking about this storyline for a while. No. And now we're thinking about it again. And it did seem like he was of the opinion that it was more important to clear his name. But I think... That was kind of like, yes, you can help me, people who have no idea what you're doing, not, you know, oh, you you actually got like an actual legal person to help now. And now. Yeah, because it was very quick. It was very quick. Broke open. Last time to, when they met with the solicitor and right. the roles to say, oh, 15 grand, oh, well, don't, don't bother Never me. Never mind. Then Dee bursts in. She's found Lennox's address, which has also found out that. Lennox retired due to an affair, but Dee Dee wonders if there was something more to it. Mm-hmm. She suggests taking it slowly, though, and maybe speaking to a colleague first so as not to spook him. Almost Stu is frustrated by this and stomps out. So Dee Dee has doxed Lennox then. Alia <laughs> finds images of Lennox's old partner, DC Griffiths. I wonder if their show was Griffiths and Lennox or Lennox and Griffiths. She and Dee Dee are calling each other partner now. This is getting all very buddy-buddy. Yes, yep. I like that. Jasmine comes in to loudly shout in front of Dee Dee how Speed Dal is dead and Homeless Stew is missing. And Dee Dee twigs that he's nicked the address. And sure enough, we see Homeless Stew in a leafy part of town battering on the front door, not for the first time this year. <sighs> Mrs. Lennox opens up and Homeless Stew and introduces himself as Homeless Jimmy Page. <laughs> Mrs. Lennox tells him to fuck off, saying that Lennox is dead, and she slams the door on him. On him. Cursing his luck, he goes to leave, but then he hears a man's voice from the garden. Lennox is alive and sitting outside. 
I'm your worst nightmare, says Stu, lightheartedly. I don't even know who you are, says Lennox. Mm-hmm. Which is clue number one, right? The encounter between Lennox and Homeless Stu is pretty confusing because Lennox has no idea who Stu is and just keeps shouting on his wife. He's got dementia, you fucking idiot, shouts Mrs. Lennox. And Alia and Dee Dee turn up and drag Homeless Stu away, begging Mrs. Lennox not to call the police, which she seems to agree to do. Right, yeah, she hangs up. Back on the street, Homeless Stu thinks this is the end of the investigation and goes off for some time on his own to clear his head. Right, and apologises for being stupid <laughs> and stealing the address and going there in the first place. Alia follows Stu to the community garden and we have a moment of reflection which allows him to see how much she has to thank her and Didi for for all their hard work and making sure he didn't go back to prison today. He continues his pity party by talking about his dad and his mum, who both died when he was inside, and how his dad never cried, but cried when he got sent down, and how much he misses his daughter. And at this, we see Bridget is skulking around outside the community garden. Wearing a pink blazer now. Yeah. Just so nobody asks for her to do their nails all of a sudden. At Speedal, Yasmin is caught up with the events of the day and how the investigation looks to have hit a dead end, but Alia doesn't think Didi is ready to give up just yet. And then Bridget appears. Alia apologises for blindsiding her, but Bridget has blindsided Alia by turning right, up to her yes. place of work as well. Yes. And is here to ask you if he would like to meet Eliza properly, something that Alia had said earlier has struck a chord with her. And she promises to bring Eliza along tomorrow. When Yasmin asks what Mrs. Homeless Jew will think of all this, Bridget is a bit evasive, but Homeless Jew doesn't care. He's going to see his granddaughter. Right. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. And it's none of Mrs. Homeless Stew's fucking business, is what her daughter should have said. Because she's a grown woman. She can do what she wants. Yeah, but the way that she said it yeah. suggests That she maybe. hasn't told her, which is fine. She doesn't have to tell her, but even if she did, it's none of her business. I wonder if, wondered if it suggested a little more than that. Hmm. That Mrs. Homeless Stew is maybe the the puppet master of all this. And, well, you've thought that she's involved in in this murder case. Call him Metallica to find the master of puppets. I mean, Lennox with dementia was a twist that I wasn't expecting. Hmm. And I was expecting Lennox to be the guilty party here. I don't know if the dementia does something to that suspicion. It It maybe makes it less likely now because I, I, how would they prove it i don't know i i kind of feel like he might still be involved he was not what i was expecting no i was expecting a thuggy looking guy yeah. and this was yeah a, just a quiet old man trying yes. to use crossword basically yes in the garden mm. which means that at the time they were they're probably around about the same age him and home, homeless stew yes Maybe Lennox a little bit older. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I was expecting something a little bit different as well. But yeah, I just wasn't expecting it to take this turn. Although as soon as we saw him <sighs> and as soon as we heard him saying that he didn't know who Stu was, well, that, that's some got dementia then. I can't imagine that a detective remembers the face of every, everyone. of everyone they've ever put away. Right. I, I would expect him maybe but to remember would you forget a those murderer. Baby, would you forget those baby blue eyes, though? And that long flowing hair. I'm not sure you would. No. But anyway, it it seems like it seems like this this story is kind of coming together 
in a positive way that it's that it's actually moving forward now and it's not just week after week of people insulting speed doll for some reason like that whole scene where you know well bernie again where bernie <laughs> is like no i'm not going to eat some place where you know where you have a murderer working and you'd think bernie of all people yeah but you're going to work in the kebab shop where chesney hit himself in the face with a brick right Hmm. You think Bernie of all people would be far more forgiving? Yeah, that that's a bit of that. That I don't know if she was just the only one that was on set that day for that. Right. That scene, but it, it was a it, yeah, it was it a felt strange out one. of character. Mm. But you know, we it seems like we're actually making progress beyond. Oh, Speed Doll is in trouble because of homeless stew, and Alia can't read legal papers. It seems like Alia is now finally getting some understanding and seems quite good at this i'm there's a part of me that's hoping that she goes to law school after this oh and and becomes if not a lawyer at least a paralegal because she seems to she does seem to have a knack for finding things she just doesn't understand necessarily what she's found she's got good attention to detail yes although maybe not the best at speaking to witnesses no see that's where Didi comes in I just felt that the the timeline of this was expedited quite considerably by having Dee Dee join it. Yes. That nobody's looked at any of these things. Well, either, they have. They just haven't the understood. Yeah, but at the time, all the, all the things that Dee Dee's found are still, is still true, that nobody else was interviewed and there were uh, threads of investigation that were never followed through on and... None of this is new, but but Didi has found all of it in right. the first twenty four hours nobody, of looking at the paperwork. Because nobody else cared. Because the cops wanted to pin it on on Stu. This this happens all the time in real life, where the cops find I don't, somebody. I don't think it happens all the time in real life, where the introduction of one person makes no. such a difference in less than twenty four hours. No, no, not that part. But it happens. That's what I'm talking about. But. The reason why she's the only one who's found it is that it happens all the time where the police find somebody that they assume is the guilty party and just ignore everything else that doesn't fit that hypothesis. Right. And sometimes make things up to fit the hypothesis. This happens all the time. You know, (laughs) defund the police. But... (laughs) Yeah, but we had uh, so so it so it makes sense that you know that these would be things that would have been missed, and nobody would have cared. And I don't think necessarily that that other lawyer that Stu had was all that good because he never really did anything. Well, he was he was new as the right. the excuse that they've given there. Right, whereas Didi has experience. But basically, we, we had Alia and Zidane in the lawyer's office a number of times kind of balking at the amount of paperwork that they had to go through and how long it was going to take two of them to make any headway. Right. And they knew how long it was going to do, how long it was going to take because they'd done it before and they were going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And Dee Dee shows up and later that episode she's found all this shit out. Well, Dee Dee knows what she's looking for mm-hmm. because she's a lawyer. No, nah, that's not enough for me. It's too quick. But again... This is a storyline that has been stagnating for months now. So I appreciate any positive movement forward. 
even if you think it's too quick. And it's not necessarily too quick because she's found these things, but she hasn't put everything together yet. This is, this is starting a new line of investigation. This is not solving the case in one week. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. You know, it, it could possibly be that that was a piece of paper that was on the top this time around. You know, I don't have any problem with it whatsoever and much prefer this to somehow inexplicably Stephen killing Leo. No, I, I, I like that. But the, and I, I don't have any real disagreement in the fact that this storyline has been going so slowly for for so long. I'm Again, I applaud the the decision to actually have some progress made on it. It's just it's just moving it too quickly. You can't suddenly go from nothing to a hundred in. But it's again, it's in, not really a hundred. It's a, finding one episode. It's finding one or two things that are interesting that they're going to now investigate. You know, it's saying, okay, well, you know, I haven't looked through everything, but here are two or three things that are interesting. Let's investigate these two or three things. It's not solving the case. It's just saying, okay, these are the things we're going to focus on now. If there was one thing that she'd spotted, I would have had less of an issue with it. She got the the paperwork at some point on Wednesday evening. And by the next morning, she had made all this progress. And I was like, no, this isn't, this is, this is too quick. It's too much, too quick. It's two or three things, and she still hadn't found Lennox's out of address. All, out of all that, that paperwork. Yeah, but she didn't, I don't think she had all of that paperwork, because the well, file that she that handed case, back. Helen, I've got a bridge I want to sell you. It's just one or two things, and these are one. things that would be one. realistically. Buy my bridge. No. Come on then. You'd right. have to give me the money to buy the bridge, so I, I don't think this, this works in your favour. But anyway. That was the week that was Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? Bernie's speech to Addy and Asha. Ah, do you know, I don't think there was an awful lot more. It wasn't a week that had <clears throat> a huge amount of peaks in it. No. I wasn't all that enamoured by this week. No. Truth be told, I got some enjoyment out of the Stephen thing on, on Monday. Right. And that was a case of diminishing returns a little bit as, right. as the week yeah. went on. But... But yeah, it was it was a tough one to think of last night as I, as I was putting the notes together of what what the moment of the week would be. So I don't know. I'm I'm happy to go along with that, and I'm happy that Bernie gets it. Right. <clears throat> Maybe not so much for that scene, but as a as a collective for the week. Yeah, she was brilliant this week, except Bernie for the whole. Great. I'm not going to eat someplace where a murderer works. Yeah, and I can easily forget that never happened. Yes, that's it. Moment of the week. Moment of the week. Uh, boring moment of the week. James trying to interview for a job. Oh, just James talking about football is just so boring. All of this football stuff is fucking boring. I thought. I thought the meeting. I thought the meeting with Bob Dover was interesting. Oh, even but it was. But it was more interesting because of Dee Dee. Than, than, than anything. Because all three of those men were just kind of sitting there going, Durr. As I'm sitting watching this, and I don't have a huge amount of experience in talking to people that are actually doing these jobs, but as I'm sitting watching those scenes, I'm thinking, I don't believe that you're a footballer. I don't believe that you're a football manager. And I don't believe that you're a chief executive. And I kind of believe that, that Didi's a lawyer. Kind of. 
it was just kind of the smugness in which they were like, oh, we're going to pull one over on you guys by saying, oh, well, it wasn't sanctioned when we were publicizing this whole thing on the front page of our website. Like they wouldn't know that that exists. Yeah, I felt like they had kind of called their previous hand and that was what they were relying on now. I don't, I don't know. Without knowing the numbers, it's hard to tell who was trying to rip off who here. Hmm. But but anyway, just enough with the fucking football chat. It is so dull. So dull. So. I like him playing with Lily. That was nice. Yeah. And the powder was Shona. She was going to smash it. Yeah. Oh, God, that, Shona was annoying me in that as well. It was also just it was also just good to show a little girl on the street playing football. There we go. Because So we'll give it bored a moment of the week. <laughs> no, no, not that oh, okay. part. No, I'm I'm uh, specifically I think just fucking football chat. That's <laughs> it. For a moment of the week. <sighs> you think I'd like that because I quite enjoy football, but the chat about it is just does my nothing. It really does. Which I think is why they underuse James is because they put him in and then they're like, it's hard to make this interesting for people who watch soap operas. But, and this is what I've been saying. Yeah. That having him as a footballer was a, a hiding to nothing. Right. Because it means talking about football and I don't want to do that because no. it's so boring. No. It's only it's only interesting when when Steve and Tim do it because it's for comedic effect. Or Tommy O. Right. Or when Gemma got stuck in the turnstile. Right. But the thing about Tommy O was he wasn't a regular regular character. He was a somewhat recurring character. Right. He'd show up. Or Kirk as the as the mascot. Right. That was funny. Remember when Kirk was funny sometimes? Well, I think that about wraps up. I think so too. <laughs> well, if you want to agree with me on how boring football is on Cornish Street, <laughs> feel free to get in touch at the talk of the street at gmail.com on email. And we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, and a couple of people have been so inclined recently, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. We do love those. We do. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week, maybe a little bit earlier next week, with more... A talk of the street! A talk of the street. Bye! Cheers!